0: Special uh episode tonight, Two Good Sports. Uh hope you're all well at home first and foremost and everything's going well. Uh we advertised last week that we've got a um uh one of the uh you know good guys of the uh of Footy coming to join us. And apart from that, a bloke who's achieved a lot in his uh time. And uh welcome, Sats, Scott sadler Good to have you, mate.
1: Yeah, thanks guys, good to join you,
0: Hamo. Yeah, thanks, mate. Uh, Greggy, you want to you kick it off, mate? Yeah, mate. You're, yeah. you're the, the nerdlinger of the two of us. Oh, <laughs> the, as the nerdlinger, yeah, had
2: a little bit of a look-up on, on your stats there, Scotty. Uh, you played 202 games between 1992 and 2004 over you know, a few clubs there. You were coached by Wally, coached by Phil Economides, Mark Murray, Bob Linder. Uh, of course, Royce. You've got uh, Johnny Lang there, Timmy Sheens. Um, just one thing I just wanted to ask you, mate, uh, one thing you took away from... You don't have to go through each, each club or each iteration. With Gold Coast, you've been there twice. But what you took away from the club and, and the coaches?
1: Yeah, it's a good question to start off with, um, uh, Greggy, because uh, Wally, I was only 19. There was myself and Jamie Goddard and, and Kevin Campion, Adrian Vows. We were all playing in the under-21s at the Gold Coast Seagulls. and. All I ever wanted to do growing up as a kid is not play for South Sydney um, because that was my dad's club. All I ever wanted to do was play for the Gold Coast Giants. So I grew up on the Gold Coast and I just thought that even though the Gold Coast Giants are only a very young, a very young club, I, just, I looked up to everyone that played there and they didn't have a lot of success. But when I got the opportunity uh, in under-21s and then Wally Lewis was the coach, he gave myself and Jamie Goddard and Kevin Campion and Adrian Bowser a shot in first grade. What I took from Wally was... Don't overcomplicate things. Just what your natural ability is. Just continue to use your natural ability and don't let anyone change it. And I really took a lot of that from, from Wally really early on in my career. And um, I, I sort of lost my way, I think, for about two or three years. I really, about two years, I lost my way in relation to where I was going to go with my footy. Um, the Super League was about, sort of was sort of being entered into negotiations with players, and I was at the Roosters and South Queensland Crushers. There didn't really overly enjoy myself at those clubs um, for a number of reasons. But uh, when when you fast forward to uh, like Phil O'Connor his his approach to rugby league was all about just have fun, just be a really close knit playing group, and have as much fun as human, humanly possible together. And I thought that was really important. Um, yeah. Because I lost my way for a couple of years there in relation to my, I suppose, my commitment to the game, I, I didn't train as hard as what I usually did when I, as a young guy for a couple of years there. And, and so I decided that I was going to go back to where it all started, back on the Gold Coast, which was then the Chargers. And Phil Economides really, really taught me to enjoy my rugby league again. And we had good success in that 97 year. We made the finals in the ARL comp and we had a really yeah. good group of players. And, and then fast forward to Roy Simmons. Roy Simmons really taught you how to be fit and go to another level of fitness. And um, and also had a lot of really good game plans around footy. John Lane didn't have a game plan at all. It was just about make it as simple as possible. Don't make a mistake. If you've got the right players in your side, you'll win the games more often than not. And then Tim Sheens, uh, just an absolute genius. I wish I had Tim Sheens as an 18-year-old because he, uh, he had this great fascination of the game and he looked at it from a completely different angle. And... Everything that was all about the basics of the game. So, before every training session, you had to pass 100 to the left, 100 to the right, 100 from dummy half to the left, and 100 to the dummy half to the right, just so you got used to those real basics of the game. So, he was a tremendous coach. He was in my final year, Timmy Sheens. I, yes. I thoroughly enjoyed his coaching.
0: That's there any club we, we had um, uh, Valjean on a little while ago last year? And he talked about a couple of clubs that he almost went to. I, I guess particularly, the, the, as you mentioned, the Super League war was just about to, to start. There were a couple he mentioned. I think it was uh, from Newcastle, from memory, and, and maybe North Sydney. Any, a couple of clubs that you were close to going to, mate?
1: I was close to going to South as, a, as an 18-year-old, but I decided not to because, again, I just said that was my dad's club. Yep. And then um, I nearly went to Bradford, actually. Um, when Bradford were at their peak, and it was before, I went down to Penrith, and I was coming off contract at the Gold Coast Chargers, and I got contacted by the uh, the London Broncos and Bradford. And I didn't take it because I felt as though I hadn't achieved enough here in Australia yet. Yeah. So I stayed and went to Penrith, fortunately enough. And but when I when because of the salary cap, and I was thirty one at the Gold, at Penrith, we just won the about to win the comp, we hadn't won it yet. But um, during that year, I was told that I was. Um, I was no longer, you know, I wasn't going to be part of the the plans moving forward because we had a lot of really good young players coming through. Waterhouse and Luke Lewis and Luke Rooney, those players. And and so I had to find a club. And I was nearly going to go to South again. But again, I made a decision not to go there. But I remember the one that stands out for me the most is when I was at the Gold Coast Chargers, I was negotiating with three clubs. I was negotiating with Penrith, Manly and the Rabbitohs. And I remember saying to my dad, I said, Dad, I'm talking to three clubs and he said, who are they? I said, Penrith, Manly and South. He said, okay. He said, "What are you going to go to South? I said, no, I don't want to go to South because we, we play the same number, 13.
0: Yep. Um, yep.
1: And I don't want to go there because that's your legacy. And he goes, okay, right. Well, I can appreciate that. I said, and he said, well, can I just, I said, so it's out of Manly and Penrith. And he said, well, if you go to if you go to Manly, I just want to tell you, I'll never watch you play another game of rugby league. <laughs> so, it made it pretty easy. I went to Penrith. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, so that was it. Well, that doesn't surprise me because obviously, you know, he's, uh, he'd have a bit of a grudge, I guess, and understandably with Manly. Uh, I remember as a young kid, um, Sats, we used to up Lane Park um, with our fathers and you, I think you broke his heart one night the first time you wore the Queensland jumper up there for him being a proud New South Welshman, And I think you might have been, I'm a few years older than you, you might have been about nine or ten and you wore a Queensland jumper up. Uh, that wasn't rapid, that was he.
1: No, he wasn't because he was actually at some stage during those late 80s, early 90s, he was, a, he was part of the New South Wales Selection Committee as well. So, I, you know, I idolised Mel Meninga and it was from the State League days. Remember Hamo when they'd come down and play it Owen Park on the Gold Absolutely. Coast, the Gold Coast Vikings, and they had the old when, uh, Kentucky Fried uh, Chicken jerseys. Yeah. They did too, yeah. So when South Magpies used to come to Lang Park, and I used to idolise, you know, Gary Belcher and Malman Meninga and um, Ash Lumbey and Bruce Laster, all these these mm, greats, and regular, yeah, yeah, Brad Sully. So I I remember seeing Malman Meninga. Um, and I would have only been eight or nine. I just remember looking at him going, and he was a police officer, and I thought, this guy mm-hmm. just he, he epitomises everything that, that I'd love to be. So mm-hmm. I followed South Magpies, and because he started playing for Queensland, I just followed Queensland, because that's all I knew. I'd grown up in Queensland. But yeah, my dad was absolutely devastated that, <laughs> yeah. that I followed Queensland.
0: Yeah. yeah, I remember that. Greggy?
2: Yeah, um, just following on from your, you know, the clubs there, I was just wanting to ask you their stats probably a question for yourself that i was keen to know well, who's your best club man doesn't have to be the best player but the best club man that you played with well you can name a few like the different clubs there but you know like somebody like darren Sand- uh, center sort of stands out to me somebody you know seemed like a good bloke to have around and you know did the right thing trained hard and all that just your point of view
1: yeah i only played one year with darren center at the tigers it was my last year um but the the club man is a really good question because you know it's they're the guys that really fly under the radar a lot of the yeah. time. They're so important to a side. Yeah, they become like the spiritual leader. But mm. For me, um, the, real, the real great clubman um, that I played with is Jamie Goddard. Um, and he didn't fly under the radar because he was a great player. But outside mm. of that, he just – he was just a typical country boy, but it was no frills. Like if you, if you stuffed up, he'd tell you straight away. But he, he, was, he had this ability to galvanise a club. Together as well, and he really led the way in re- in relation to toughness from training and playing through pain. And I remember one game we had to go off, Both he and I had to go off and get stitches once, and the doctor could only do one at a time. So while he was doing me, he grabbed the little hook and with the with the string in it, the the doc, the doc had already the doc had already uh, laced up ready for him next, and he just started stitching himself without the needles. And I was going, you know, he just just an absolute lunatic. But yeah. he just had this great ability to bring a club together, and at Penrith, um, Tony tour, the back rower, the yep. one of the hair bears, one half of the hair bears.
0: Yeah he, yeah, he
1: was just he was just a tremendous guy. Really light hearted, uh, very humorous. Could play. Was just one of the yep. most devastating back rows in his day. But but just had this this great this innate ability to to just bring a group of guys together and yep. and do it just through his humour and his um and his just the interactive nature that he had.
0: Yeah. Look, you mentioned Jamie Goddard and uh, uh, we had, we had uh, Campo and Balzy on, as I mentioned a little while ago, and uh, they both mentioned Jamie Goddard. It was a similar question. Uh, so, look, mate, you, on your show uh, recently, uh, uh, your um, Sports Day show with uh, Batch, you mentioned uh, you're talking about the importance of how young blokes can come to a club and get a little bit lost uh, and, and get off the track, especially today, I guess, compared to 10, 20 years ago. And you mentioned the importance of being a young fella and finding a mentor. How was that for you and who was it?
1: Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I was fortunate enough for me, Hamo, that I had a a pretty strict upbringing with my dad and, you know, you and I grew up together in the pubs, you know, um, the the pubs all around the Gold Coast. And yeah, like you said, you're a little bit older than me, but, but I, you know, I had a, I was fortunate enough to have a really good mentor in my dad who really set myself straight. The the last name really pulled me up from being a, you know, I'd like to think I tried not to be a dickhead too many times off Mm. the field. And, and I was never a big drinker when I played because yes. because I saw the effect that alcohol had on so many families living in pubs. We lived in all the pubs, as you know, that we owned over the years. And I just saw the effect that alcohol had on families. And and so I didn't drink a lot when I played. I was always out with the guys, but just was mm. one of those guys who was really happy with being in the moment. And um, I used to only have three drinks a year, which was when we played the Cowboys because it was a great night out. Uh, Brisbane, because you you hook up with a lot of your mates you went to school with or played for you with, and your end of season drink as well. So a lot of the other times I tried to stay pretty clean. And and so when I came into grade at the Gold Coast, um, the Gold Coast uh, Seagulls, um, there was there was a guy that came up from Canberra. His name was Brent Todd. The premiership winning front yeah, rower. Yeah,
0: played for New yeah. Zealand front
1: row. He did too. You know, he was just a tremendous guy, and he came from a club that had a lot of success. And so. I used to I used to find myself morphing towards him at training a lot, and just sort of sort of hanging around him. I used to watch a lot of the things that he used to do at training, and and um and because he'd come from so much success, I found that you know, if I watched the things that he did and tried to replicate them the best way I could, um, I'd probably be on a pretty good path as well. So yeah, you know, one it was the last name that kept me that kept me on the straight and narrow, I think, because I always felt as though if I was going to try and defile the, the family name uh, in rugby league well I wouldn't be able to live with myself and then no. outside of that having Toddy Brent Todd really early on in the career was a tremendous guy and he really looked after the young guys as
0: well well that would have done a, a, a full 180 I guess that's near the end of your career you would have you know taken that role on maybe you didn't ask for it but I'm sure there were a couple of kids young young blokes who were starting off went to you and uh, you know did the full circle I suppose
1: yeah, at Penrith, we had a lot of young players. When we won the comp in 03, we had, um, we had nine local juniors in the side and about five of those were still in their teens. And so um, I was a player used to love doing extras before and after training. And um, there was a, obviously, they like, like, like to do that as well. And we used to have a few of the younger players. It's easy to say to players, you know, this is how you do extras, be disciplined, but it's really hard to know actually what to do. So we found that guys like uh, Luke Lewis and and uh, Joel, Joel Clinton and those young front rowers, Ben Ross, they'd come to you a lot of the times and just and just ask for advice about how to do extra training. And then before you knew it, they were staying there longer than you and they were turning up there earlier than you as well.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah, and it was really good to drag some of those guys along and, and just do a fair bit of training with them and just teach them the importance of doing extras and being disciplined and and therefore it just becomes part and parcel of their um of their preparation So But like I said i will turn up to training You know An hour before training And to go and do some extras And guys like Luke Lewis And Luke Rooney They were already there They'd been there Another 15 or 20 minutes So yep. um, And it's not something You go looking for either It's just something that That naturally You just find players Like I did as a young player They just end up tagging along Without you actually inviting They tag yep. along And you just be doing A few little extras And little drills with them and then before you know it they're, they're taking over Their own little sessions
2: as well Yep, yep, yep. Incredible year when you think about the two thousand and three <laughs> mm. sats. You were well hundred and fifty to one, I think, there at one stage, the the bookies had you guys at. Um, and you know, you, you turned around. I think maybe even a semi final They at the top eight back then, you might have beaten the dragons thirty one thirty. Um and that was you know, that was another point there, you know, if they happened to win that game, who knows what happens. But it was it was just one of those years, you know, you everything seemed to click. I was watching the highlights real, I think um on TV last night where you beat North Queensland in, you know, extra time. How was that year for you?
1: Great. It started two years before, guys, because in 2001, Roycey Simmons was a coach. He was a great coach, Roycey. I love him. He's still a very close friend of mine. And we came last. Stone motherless last. And... um, and you know, we used to get food thrown at us from our fans. Our, you know, our houses would get vandaled because they were so passionate about their footy. And 2002, John Lane came along. We weren't much better. We came third last, I think. And then 2003, after five rounds, we were still running. Oh, it might have been 14th or 13th. Um, we lost our first two games. We got embarrassed by Melbourne in round two. John Lang actually said to us in the dressing shed after the game, everyone needs to have a good hard look at themselves and decide whether they want to be a first-grade footy player because at the moment, I don't see too many in this room and we're going to make a decision about who we're going to cut before June 30. We come sure. out the following week against the Roosters, the Premiers, and we beat them. Uh, we beat them 23-22, I think it was. And um, But after round five, and we had a bye in round six and and we, we weren't travelling that well. But we went over to New Zealand in round seven, I think it was around eight and we beat them really convincingly. And they were grand finalists the year before. And we sort of said to ourselves, you know what, we we can make the eight, I think with this team. And, and then all of a sudden we went on a run where we couldn't get beaten. I think we went on an eight or nine streak run. We got beaten um, in between that. Um, and then from that on, we, we never got beaten again after that. Uh, we got beaten by the Roosters. I tell a lie leading into the finals, we got beaten by the Roosters at home really convincingly. And, um, but we were able to injure Brad Fittler in that game. Tony Pouture ragged old him and he, he um, popped his shoulder at Freddie. And it actually come back to help us in the grand final because Freddie wasn't on his game that night. He could tell he couldn't pass from left to right. And so that whole year was a, was a real learning curve for the young players. But they just knew how to win. They'd come from all these junior rep teams in Penrith where they'd won a lot of comps. Yeah. Us older guys learned how to win again from those guys. We taught them how to train hard, I think. Mm. and then it all sort of came to fruition throughout the finals where we beat the broncos in week 1 when we were behind by i think two tries we beat the warriors in week 3 to make our way through to the grand final we always had the wood on the warriors and we're outstanding true arrogant we we just knew by playing the roosters in the grand final we just for some reason we just we just knew how to get over the roosters in big games at penrith even when we were coming last in 2001 yeah. so you know, grand final night, it was dark, it was stormy, we wore black jerseys, it was just the whole theme, the theme of the whole night was set up for us to to cause a massive, even though we were the minor premiers, everyone still to this day still thinks it's a massive boil over.
2: Mm. Mm. Was that the quickest, I remember watching it, it seemed like the quickest grand final I'd seen, did it feel like that to you? Yeah, <laughs> it was incredibly it was, quick. Mm. It's funny you
1: should say that Greg, because um, I remember seeing a statistic only about three or four years ago, it would have been... Yeah, it would have been three or four years ago. Actually, it was just before the 2015 grand final. And they said, um, still to date, that 2003 grand final was the fastest game that was ever played, even including Origins. Because, And they they took into account there was only three penalties in the game, so there was no stoppages. Mm. Uh, Not a lot of balls went into touch. Not a lot of balls went over the dead ball line. So the ball was kept in, in play for a large portion of that game. And I think the 2015 game, I think that overlapped it and became the fastest game after that.
0: Right. Well, so it's 2003, obviously, you know, that great grand final win. um, That was a watershed year for you. You won the premiership. You also represented your beloved Queensland. What a year for you in that year. Like, it's just, that was just, you know, I guess when you look back on your career, that's one that stands out. Yeah, it does. Um,
1: And getting picked at Origin at 31, Hamo was... Mm. it is a surprise, and it's not when you're a Queenslander because they've been renowned for picking people late in their careers ever since, you know, 1980, the first year. So, if you're a New South Welshman, you got picked at 31, you sort of think, well, you yeah, know, that's that's um, a jack in the box. But in saying that, um, I, I didn't think I was going to get picked. I always, I never gave up hope of ever getting of not getting picked. Um, I always thought there's you half a chance if your team is going very well. And I remember I was standing at school waiting to pick my young bloke up. He was only. Well, was he five? I think he was five at that stage. and I was, He was in his first year, like kinder, and I was picking him up from school and my best mate rang me. Um, he'd also won a comp with Newcastle, Clinton O'Brien. He rang me and yep. said, he said to me, oh, you, well done. I said, what for? He said, you've just been picking the Origin team. I said, no, I haven't. You're talking shit. He said, no, no, no. He said, it's just been announced. I went, but I haven't even heard from the QRL. So I got home, I got a phone from the QRL and... And before I knew it, I packed the bag and I was on the next flight to Brisbane and, and got room with Petro Sivanasiva and I was thirty-one, he was like twenty-three and I looked at, I looked up to him like a god, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I remember the first night we stayed in this one hotel the first night and and there was a there was a queen size bed and a single bed. And Petro six foot three, six foot four, hundred and ten kilos. I'm you know, six foot on a good day and and ninety four kilos. And he said, Oh sats, you can have the uh, you can have the queen size bed. I said, Petro. He's the nicest guy in the world. I said, Petro. Now you've paid six or seven first grade uh, origins, I should say. Um, yeah, you've won a comp. You've won a couple of comps. Um, you take the queen size bed, and I'll make you a cup of tea. How many sugars do you have? You know, it's, but it was it was a great year for myself. Yes. It was, um, yeah. And, and I'll tell you what: John Lang played a huge part because he, again, was able to he was able to strip a lot of things back in your game because he just made everything really simple. Yep,
0: yep. Main you... Before both games, just briefly, how how did you cope with the night before, and also the morning before? Because I've heard a lot of people playing in these big games. They've talked about they played the game in their head too many times, and I I guess there's a fine line between being too relaxed and and too switched on. How did you you go about that with these games? I
1: used to be a real um, up until 1995, and so I was still a young guy. I used to be really, I used to get really built up before the game. I used to get really anxious. I remember former Manly back row John Jones, who I'm yep. still really good mates with today. Juggy, wasn't it? Juggy, yeah. Jones, is that right? Yeah. yeah, he came up to the crushes and he could see before the very first crushes game that was ever played in 95 against Canberra, he could see that I was really nervous and I was really intense. And he said, just relax, loosen up. Don't play the game now because you'll be buggered after 15 minutes when you get out there. From that day on, I, I became really relaxed before games. And before the... I was, I was probably too relaxed before games, I I thought, until the two-minute buzzer went. When the two-minute buzzer went, which goes off in every dressing shed, that means you've got two minutes before you're running out. That's when the butterflies start building. But I was actually really relaxed before big games. Before the Origin, I was was really relaxed. And maybe that comes with experience. But I remember before the grand final, as a whole group, we were just so relaxed. And I used to always be the last. I had a really strict preparation routine before game. And... Not before, I didn't do too much, just watched the footy, had the same meal before the before every game. And then and then um, the grand final night, I, was, I used to go in always and get strapped last. So I will go and watch the second grade play. And our second grade was playing in the grand final that night as well. So I remember watching them. And I remember looking up at the big screen, and I hadn't gone in to get strapped yet. And it was raining, and they showed both dressing sheds. And they showed an image on the big screen of, the roosters' dressing shed. And they showed Anthony Minicella, and he was just so nervous. You could see how built up and anxious he was. And then they showed our dressing room. They showed Preston Campbell was, he was waving and laughing at the camera, and yeah, you know, every there was a couple of guys playing cards in the dressing sheds. And and to me, that sort of set a really good scene how we how we approached the game and how I approached the game. So I went yeah. in and remember getting strapped up and just sort of sitting there and going, you know, I've been playing twelve seasons now. You know, I, I think you deserve to have a little bit of luck in your life. So, you know, don't, don't make too much of the situation. Just, you know, you can't control the situation until you get out there. So I was really, really, ner- not really nervous. I was really, really relaxed before yep. a lot of really big games.
0: Yep. Really?
1: Yeah.
2: Just wanted to ask you, mate, um, if, if there was any other sport that you would have taken up, you know, if the rugby league wasn't it, what was, what was another sport you were interested in as a kid and that you thought you might have made a not necessarily career, but something you might have went on and played a bit longer for, if
1: possible? Um, I hated Rugby Union. I went to boarding school for a year. And absolutely despised. Nudgy. Did you get nudgy? Oh, nudgy. Despised everything about Rugby Union. Um, but I, I, when, I was, when I was 11 years old, my dad, um, my dad dropped me down to the Ashmore PCYC. Yep. And he, I started doing some boxing there. And I remember, I, I remember I used to put on um, just old like just actual bandages that you put on put on wounds. I, I was using those as my wraps for my hands. And, and I used to go down, yeah, you know, once a week with a very good friend of mine's Dad used to take us down there. I did that for a lot of years, and and um and always just and still today, it's still my second favorite sport. I, I just I, I can't get enough of boxing, reading books, and documentaries, whatever it may be. So, um. Probably if I didn't play rugby league, I may have gone down the path of maybe trying to see if I could do something there because I just, I just love the sport and I, I admire
0: the sport and the athletes in it so
2: much. Yep,
0: yep. Good one. Mate, you know what I'm going to ask you here, um, Sats, because we sent a um, thing out to our, our, uh, on our social media the day day ask, asking you about that famous tackle. Look, you yep. mentioned your dad. Your, your dad's made his own legacy and you've made your own. Um, Every time there's a grand final, you're in the highlight reels, there, mate. Um, just, just briefly, tell us about how that came about and what was going through your mind with you and Todd Byrne.
1: You know, it was the circumstance itself was was pretty wasn't new to me because John Lang, when he came to to Penrith in two thousand and two, and I was a lock forward, he sort of prepared me for the moment. Funny enough, because he said to me. When he came there, we had our one-on-one meeting. He said, Sats, I want my lock forwards to play like an old-fashioned lock forward. He said, so um, what I mean by that, he said, on tackle five, he said, if you're on the other side of the field and the ball's on the opposite side, he said, I just want you to start running in behind the defensive line just in case. He used to always say, just in case you need it. And so for every training session and every game for two years, I did exactly that and was never needed. But on my last game for Penrith um, in a grand final, again, we're fifth and the last. And, and Ryan Girdler was standing next to me on the left-hand side. And for some reason, he just took off to the right-hand side, which he usually – he used to do that quite a bit, Girds. He used, never used to like to stand on his left-hand side. He, he just roamed around the field. And he took off. And I remember looking at him and going, where's he going? And he grabbed the ball and put the kick in. And as he grabbed the ball, I thought, oh, John Lang's always – so I just started sort of heading off just in case I was needed. And then – when the ball ricocheted and and Freddie picked it up and gave it to Toddy Byrne and Luke Lewis just just got an arm on him was able to sort of rattle him a little bit and Toddie got away and by that stage I'd already gotten to a really good stride so yeah you know, to be quite honest guys I was I was thinking first and foremost I was just thinking like anyone does when you're chasing I just want to stop him from going around underneath the goalpost because it was six all at that stage and I thought if we can if he can score in the corner and and make the kick hard for Craig to skip him, um, you know, it still gives us a real real good chance. So, But because it was a wet night and it, it wasn't one for the speedsters, um, it was one for the mud runners. And and I just started gaining a, a lot more sort of traction on him. And I thought he was going to come inside at one stage. And and when you watch it, I sort of pulled up a little bit because I thought he was going to come inside. But I heard Reece Wester yell at me and my... It's funny, you can't hear a thing on those big nights. There's 85,000, you can't hear a thing. It's just stony silence. But I remember hearing Reese, and my nickname was Scooter. And I remember hearing Reese yell out, go Scooter, I've got you. And it was the only only noise I could hear the whole, the mm. whole time. So I just remember taking off and fortunately enough for me, he just kept going down that sideline and, and I was able to get really good um, some uh, real good contact on him because it was a uh, slippery night. We slid into touch, and yeah. and um, to be able to turn around and see my teammates run in, and you know that's that's probably the the most pleasing part of it all is that your teammates look at you as, as a as a person that's that's helped them out, and that's yeah.
0: all you ever want to do as a player. Well, that's the beauty of rugby league, isn't it too?
1: Yeah, it's funny enough. I remember when I when I slid into touch and I turned around, I turned around to look at. Reese West. I I turn around and look back in the field, and I took. I turned down to say to Reese, "Thanks very much." <laughs> Reese was that far away that if he stepped inside, Reese wouldn't have got him. <laughs> <So, laughs> I tell you what he did. He actually lied. He, he lied
2: to me and put me in a really
0: good, really good <laughs> positive frame of mind. That was a good lie. Yeah. <laughs> mate, mate, just quickly from me, I'll, I'll pass it over to Greggy. Um, cause I know you, you you've got a um, couple of things to do too. Sets. So you've made the transition to the media really successfully, and um. Uh, without pissing in your pocket. You do it you and um Gary Belch do a great job on Sports Day. It's it, well, what we, we were talking about it just recently. Um what we like about it it's 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 analytical, it it's it's um it's a lot of advice there. It's um it's it's really in depth. How have you made that transition, Sats? You you seem to have made it pretty seamlessly really, like from your playing career to now?
1: Funnily enough ham, I you know, I used to always embrace the media when I played. I thought, you know, one don't treat them like outcasts yep. to they can really hurt your career. Um, and if you embrace them and, and make yourself open to them, they can really enhance your career as well.
0: Yep.
1: So I always did that. And I've still today, I've got some really good friends in media, Paul Kent, James Hooper, um, Peter Bedell. Um, they're really good mates of mine. And and um, they've always remained really close friends. And I got that through just from, from playing rugby league. And, mm. But I, I remember in 2004, um, Peter Falingos was one of the great journalists in rugby league. he passed away suddenly heart attack um, mm. and up until that time i was is in my last year of my career and i was I was actually just went to two g b and I just said to them and I'd, I'd been on the footy show a fair bit during my career and and um I said to two g b Ray Hadley and, and the crew I just said, listen if, if you ever want a current player just to come in just free of charge just come in and just you know just be part of the contiguous call team just I'd be more than happy to give my time up, and I just was able to go in on a couple of occasions. And then, and then in 2004, Chippy Fralingos passed away suddenly, and, and Ray Hadley and Bob Fulton and and um, and Steve Blocker Roach and and those guys who were the part of that crew, they they were so traumatized by Chippy's passing that they they just didn't want to go on air for an extended period of time. So 2GB had said to me, "Listen, can you come and fill in Philly if you're not playing on?" Sunday or Saturday, can you come and fill in? So I was able to do that for a number of weeks, and Bailey basically just gave my time up free of charge, and and had some really good advice from guys like you know Ray and Steve Blocker Roach. He's always has been a really good mentor of mine just in life, and and then I was fortunate enough the year that I retired, I offered my services to Fox Sports for free of charge. I said I'll fly myself down from the Gold Coast free. I'll I'll put myself up in my own accommodation. Uh, it won't cost you anything. Just and they just said. No, we want you to be part of the team. So I was fortunate enough to be first year out. I got part of the Fox Sports team and was there for a number of years, and then transferred over to Channel Nine, and and then um, and then radio itself. I just think you just I just think with with media, I've always always the advice I always got is don't try and be someone you're not. And also, the really good advice I got was don't put up an argument if you don't truly believe it. And we, you, you see some people that will put up an argument, but they don't really believe in the in the stance they're taking they're just trying to be controversial they're trying yeah. to be opposite to their their co-host that's next to them so i never i never try and put up an argument that i don't truly believe in or or a belief or some advice whatever it may be for the sake of the program i that was some of the really good advice i've gotten most yeah. of all you just just try and be natural but the most important thing is be accessible don't ever think you're better than the other person that's that's listening to you and and uh, always make yourself accessible to anyone that wants to to reach out to you. Yeah, yeah,
0: good point, Sats. Yeah, agree.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, Sats, thanks for everything, mate. Um, just one final question from me. What would a Scott Sattler in his late 40s say to a Scott Sattler in his early 20s? Wow. Okay. Um,
1: he would say... When He would say that when you got the offer to go to the eastern suburbs Roosters in 1994, I signed a three-year contract. The advice to the Scott Sattler back in his late teens, early 20s would have said, don't sign that contract. Um, I went into Sydney and I really struggled emotionally. And I came back. Unfortunately, if I came back to the South Queensland Crushers back in Queensland, but I just wasn't, I wasn't ready emotionally to go to Sydney. Um, yeah. And I didn't enjoy my time at all. Um, so he would say to himself, uh, "Yeah, don't go to Sydney at, a, as a, at an early age." Yep. And um, and also he would say to him, he would say to a uh, a young Scott Sattler, "When you get the opportunity to go to England at your end of the career, make sure you do it." Because I had the opportunity to go to Bradford the year that I, after I retired. I would have been thirty two, and I didn't take it. I didn't take it, and I sh- I should have. I should have. Packed up the young family. I should have gone to England. I should have experienced the world a little bit more, but um, I didn't. So yeah, that's the advice I would have I would have given. And you know what? The other advice it would have been is that um, get a trade. Yeah, get a trade because I didn't. I joined the police force when I was seventeen, and then I wasn't able to pursue that because I got my first contract in footy, and they weren't going to allow you to do both. And so I should have then gone and got a trade, and I didn't do that. And that's one thing I really regretted. Mm. Thanks, Saj.
0: Sats, so before we wrap it up, I'm going to ask you a 10-second question. Uh, this, yep. It'll take you 10 seconds to work it out. If we were, Obviously, we're talking about isolation and everything else at the moment. In your career, who would have been the greatest pest to be in isolation with?
1: <laughs> Without a doubt, 100% would have been Brent Tate. Because he's he's got OCD, he's a clean freak, and I'm really clean. But he, takes I was gonna say, to you're pretty
0: organised.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really I'm I'm actually I've got some OCD tendencies, but he just takes it to another level, and he can't sit still. But without a doubt, the worst guy to ever be locked up and isolated with would be Jamie Goddard. Would be an absolute pest because he's you know, I've got no doubt that if he would have been diagnosed ADHD and would have had to take medication if he was a kid. In this day and age. Yeah. Just a, a constant practical joker, but the practical jokes go too far. Um, you can never sleep. I got locked, I got ruined with him. We were on an interseason season trip once, and we had to, we had to pick out of a hat who we we're gonna get ruined with for the week. And for a guy that wasn't a big drinker, I got room with the just the worst, the biggest pest in the world, Jamie Goddard for a week. So much so, that I actually went and bought my own room for the, the final
0: five days because I just couldn't put up with it. Couldn't cop it anymore. <laughs> well, mate, Sats, you, you've, um, you've had a great career, mate, and, you, and you're doing wonders with your, your media career. Uh, great footballer, but even better bloke. Thanks for joining us on Two Good Sports, mate. And um, hopefully down the track, mate, we'll catch up again. But thanks very much from us, Sats. Yeah, mate, thanks, anytime, mate. guys. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Sats.